2: Welcome in, Rob Black and your money, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing more, heard every day, 7am to 9am, thanks for listening to the show, anything you want to talk about, we can talk about, healthcare, retirement, big savers versus lack of big savers, Bank of America beating expectations as higher rates boost revenue, Fed's not going to raise rates to 10%, so you know that it's going to be slow but sure at this point in time. And there's been all hints that the Federal Reserve, uh, Janet Yellen, queen of the Federal Reserve, has basically maybe taken the foot off the accelerator of interest rate hikes, only to kind of see what happens. A lot of what was going to get done in the Trump administration is starting to fall apart in theory. GOP health care bill has stalled. There's a couple senators came out and said, nah, we're not going to vote for it. So what about tax reform? What about tax repatriation? Eh, eh, not going not gonna to happen. George Bush Jr. is laughing. <laughs> He's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's not George Bush who's laughing. Maybe it's Dana Carvey who's actually laughing. But the GOP health care bill... On, uh, reform has stalled out again. And Trump, being very Trumpian, has said, uh, I blame all the Democrats and some Republicans. So, will there be hell to pay? I don't know.
3: I inherited
0: a mess. It's a mess.
2: <laughs> I saw a headline today. Is Trump's, um, diet and lack of exercise going to take its toll on him? I love America. It's little John Cougar camp, little pink houses. Ain't that America? Something to see. Ain't that America? You and me. Um, we're now writing articles about fat presidents. Nobody Thank ever told me that politics was going to be so much fun. So elsewhere out there. The world is not as small as just to say the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has canceled the vote on the GOP bill to replace Obamacare after it became clear he wouldn't have the votes. Instead, the Senate's going to pursue a plan to hold a vote on simply repealing Obamacare with a two-year delay to figure out how to put in any replacement. Bank of America and Goldman Sachs, a little modest selling interest. For some reason, you can punch into computers and figure out that banks tend to run up before earnings and they tend to run down shortly thereafter uh, the realization of what has just happened. So there's a little bit of a wet blanket this morning on the markets. Nothing terrible. It could be a lot worse, in my opinion. There's some winners, for sure. For sure, for sure. I'm a valley girl, and there's no cure. Um, Maybe this is your time to buy banks. Again, this is one of the reasons you want to have a shopping list in place. Um, Let's see what else is out there. The earnings report stand out so far. has to be Netflix. Um, they had an overwhelming 5.2 million new customer additions that blew away expectations at eight, nine dollars per subscription. I think a lot of people would be willing to pay ten, eleven, twelve dollars, and I don't think that's crazy. And you can see how when they turn on the profit tap, they're going to be pretty profitable. But are they investing in the future wisely, or are there barriers to entry? There, there are barriers to entry because they've got a lot of content now that's their own. Um, Elsewhere out there, Harley-Davidson Hawk is down 9%. You might remember last week I talked a little bit about how millennials don't care about motorcycles, and that's going to be a problem for Harley-Davidson, and that played out just one week later. Harley-Davidson's problems seem to be more company industry specific, so it's not serving as a stock market barometer in any way, shape, or form. Johnson & Johnson, it's a blue-chip luminary. No more tears baby shampoo. Tons of healthcare products. Um, they're up, because they raised, five uh, fiscal guidance for 2017. The roof. The roof is on fire. Um, so they're raising, they're raising, they're raising. Up, up, up. And Wall Street kind of likes that kind of thing. Uh, I'll swear. Little legislative snafu in Washington. That's basically telling you that Senate GOP's bill to replace Obamacare at this point was fated to meet the fate that it did. Um... So the markets aren't really overreacting. It's not like going, oh, now that we're not getting health care through, we're not going to get taxed through, we're not going to get anything through. It was kind of built into this cake. Again, it's not positive because his agenda was led to a Trump rally of up 10% in the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Uh, but, and I do say, uh, like big butts, I cannot lie. Um, so the whole Obama, not the whole Obama, the whole Trump presidency, uh, is starting to get into that idea that tax reform may not sell through smoothly, that Washington dysfunction is going to continue to be in place. Um, it's going to start setting us up for what do midterm elections look like? So lots going on. Good earnings news overall has been positive. A lot of people look at the market as underval- uh, as fairly valued, not overvalued but there are some stocks that are looked at as overvalued on historical terms. The import-export price index showed that import prices and export prices both declined two-tenths of a percent. Nothing too crazy there. Um, So that's out there. There are now hearings being sought to air issues tied towards Amazon and Whole Foods as far as potential antitrust and competition issues. Uh, U.S. Representative David Cicilline uh, has written to his representative, Bob Goodlett, a Republican out of Virginia who is a Judiciary Commissioner chairman, uh, urging them to look into Amazon's bid to buy Whole Foods for $13.7 billion without taking a position on the legality of the transaction under antitrust laws. Amazon's proposed acquisition of Whole Foods raises important questions concerning competition policy. Um, so we're going to see that. Any sort of weakness, I would accumulate shares of Amazon for the long-term patient investor, consultable, or otherwise, particularly the stock's mentioned. Um, Amazon's share is bigger when looking at the only the online grocery sales, a small chunk of the uh, overall grocery market. Amazon's piece jumps to roughly 20%, though, um, because with Whole Foods, it has only 1.2% of the grocery market, and Amazon less than 1%. Walmart, 14%, and Kroger, 7%. So, uh, lots going on to take a look at competitive advantages. And, I don't know. Seems to me that I'd be, I'm not going to say I'd be upset, but that's a tough one to pin antitrust on at this point in time. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, in more. Um, Some of the other stories of note today, which we should take a look at, in my opinion. Uh, Tesla Model 3. A lot of people are asking me, should I buy it? And there's a lot to think about. It's got a $35,000 price tag, $7,500 tax credit. Um, It's going to be tough for you to get one if you haven't already put down money on it. It's going to be over a year wait. So if you haven't placed your... Uh, A refundable $1,000 deposit is going to take at least a year to get the Model 3 because they have 400,000 refundable deposits already out there, and a lot of people are first-come, first-serve on it. So um, the Model S, though, if you want it, you can order it today and get it in 30 to 60 days. Is that a sales tactic? Probably not. Anyhow, you can listen to me every day here on AM 1220 KDOW, Rob Black and your money from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. I'm gonna do the Mondays and Thursday from six AM to seven AM show called Stock Talk. You can find out more about me at Rob Black Show, it's robblackshow.com. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back.
1: black now 800-516-1220 that's 800-516-1220 now back to rob black and your money on am 1220
4: kdow
2: i'm rob black talking money investing and more thanks for listening to the show Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. One of the things that um, we continually talk about on this show is real estate. Foreigners are snapping up record number of U.S. homes. Um, I hope I do not offend anyone with this thought or this idea, but a friend of mine, Dave, he lives um, kind of in more of a industrial neighborhood, closer to the tracks per se. And uh, <clears throat> he said, person bought his house to the right, Chinese speaking Chinese. So, not second generation American Chinese or whatever you would say. I'm not sure the politically correct terms. Person next to him bought a house, Chinese speaking Chinese. Person next to him bought a house, Chinese speaking Chinese. And we had heard a couple of years ago that China was coming to the United States and buying real estate. And this is the real first example of, like, whoa, um, whoa. His neighborhood is kind of about the schools and kind of about being close to jobs. So foreign buyers have closed on $153 billion worth of U.S. residential properties for the 12 months ended in March. That marks a 49% jump from 2015 to 2016. Florida, Texas, and California draw most of the international buyers. So the jump follows a year earlier retreat and comes as a surprise, given that the current strength of the U.S. dollar against most currencies makes it a little less attractive for foreigners to be buying. Foreign sales accounted for 10% of all existing home sales by dollar volume and 5% by number of properties. Half of all foreign sales were in just, like I said, three states, Florida, California, Texas. Chinese buyers lead the pack, followed by buyers from Canada, United Kingdom, Mexico, and India. Russian buyers make up about 1%. Wrong. But the biggest overall surge in sales uh, last year came from Canadian buyers who scooped up about $19 million worth of properties, mostly in Florida. Kind of makes sense with their cold winters and Florida's warm winters. Mexicans have been buying less expensive homes. The average purchase price of buyers from Mexico came in about 327000 compared with $782,000 for Chinese buyers and 522000 for Indian buyers. Bring in Tony Mendez, Bay Source dot com to talk a little about what we're seeing in the mortgage market. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, Bay Source dot com. Let's talk a little bit of home flipping. This is one of those things that is incredibly sexy to poor people. It's to me, I see the risk of buying something, fixing it up, and selling it. Especially since there's probably five or six TV shows about flipping the home and what have you. and what people don't realize is those are reality TV shows and those are very controlled environments. And when the guy and his wife decide to buy a house and she's going to be the real estate person and he's going to help manage the construction, they know full well that, like in episode 10, at 15 minutes, there's going to be uh oh, we got bad news. There's a power line going right over the backyard. We can't put a jacuzzi in unless we move the power line. How much is it going to be to move the power line? And the contractor's like thirty thousand dollars. We have to put it underground, or we could see if they can come and, and zip it along the side of the house. Well, they don't tell you that. They go to commercial first, <laughs> and they come. Oh, we could just zip it alongside the house. And you're like, I just watch commercials. <laughs> so flipping on TV is a lot sexier than it is in real life. Um, well, in real life, it's gotten a lot
3: sexier than it was, um, even back in 2006 at our last peak, uh, the average rate of return was 26%. Today in 2016, it's up to 49% on a flip, on average, um, throughout the nation, uh, and a lot more cash deals. So there's a lot of smaller companies and investors get, you know, seeing the value in, you know, finding a property that, normal loan products couldn't buy, which means eliminating the majority of the people out there, and they're able to buy these properties and
2: flip. So there is an incentive out there for people to look at flips. But it's not going to work for them, especially this late in the cycle, because the number of investors flipping homes set a record that extends further into the past. It hit its highest level recently since second quarter 2007, roughly one year after housing prices peaked. So when you hit the record number of flippers and the record number of flips, a crash is coming.
3: Yeah, it, it, it's there's a saying in real estate that home flipping is sometimes used to speculate on the housing market and can be considered a warning sign of a bubble. bubble. That's one of the sayings we see every time we, there's a peak. Every time we talk about flipping, uh, you know, there's a lot of new loan products out there for people that want to buy a house, especially if it's owner occupied and they can renovate it. They can use future value of the property. They can you know, use the uh, the and include that in their down as far as their percentage of down payment. Uh, they can, um, you know, defer interest payments. They can, you know, the the lender itself will do all of the payouts to the the contractor. So the, it's a lot easier nowadays to get into a property and live in it maybe a year or two and flip and then flip it. But the pure flippers, that's you know, the majority of that's going to be cash. It's going to be private money. Um, you need to do it fast. You need to compete heavily against the other investors that are out there. And you and you you need to have a lot of um, assets and that. including, you know, construction crews and, you know, time is going to be a big one where a lot of people that are around here were working and driving um, all day and then they have maybe just a weekend to spend with their kids. They're not going to want to flip. Um, Yet at the same time, there's a lot of people sitting on equity that – May go, oh, a couple hundred thousand dollars in equity could buy a property free and clear in Denver or Sacramento, and I could flip a property there and, um, make a, you know, either turn it into a rental or flip it for 50, 100 grand. Who knows? Um, so there, there is a a little bit of that kind of excitement when,
2: you know, you see home values go up here in the Bay Area. A lot of people make the mistake of looking at other markets as potentially as exciting as the Bay Area, and it's just simply not true. Um, like for instance, I have a rental in Raleigh. It is
3: disappointing to see that do, the, rate, the returns are not as. Big. Yeah. yeah,
2: I didn't get. I got ninety percent in the Bay Area return in the last six seven years. I didn't get. Z- I got almost zero percent in in Raleigh. It was very slow. Yeah. Very very slow. Now but again, you get a renter and you get a good management company, and it's all great. But, but as far as a flip
3: is concerned, though, when you look at a market, let's just take the, like the DC market, which I'm familiar with. Uh, there's a lot more inventory on the market right now, which means that. A flip is not – a distressed property that is primed for a flip is not going to be selling at top dollar like it would here in the Bay Area where almost any property, no matter what the condition is, is going to sell at top dollar. Uh, and that gives an incentive for somebody to come in there and lowball the offer. The seller is in distress and wants to get rid of the property. And then you build the equi- you know, sweat equity, however you want to do it, or just labor equity and 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 flip that property for a, a profit. And some people can do it very quickly and make good rate of return on, on their investment in these markets that are inundated with uh, multiple multiple listings where...
2: You just you can just
3: get those better deals.
2: Anyway, that's Tony Mendez. You can find him at Bay That's BayAreaLoansource. dot com.
1: You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM twelve twenty KDOW on the iHeart Radio app. Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW.
2: Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare from Briefing.com. He writes the Page One article five days a week. It's the first page that you should start your research on. He also does uh, a tie into the big picture at the end of the week. Uh, let's bring on Mr. O'Hare. How are you, sir?
4: Hey, Rob. I'm doing okay. Thank you.
2: You did a fascinating piece on Amazon.com on Friday, and I'm not going to say you got me excited, but it was a fun read. That was part of your big picture column. Can we talk a little bit about that?
4: Yeah, sure. Absolutely.
2: Um, you talked about basically everything. You wrote, I would say, a good three to five pages. It's tough to tell on what a computer page is these days. (laughs) Um, But Amazon's in a pretty dominant position, and I think they even got a little bit of uh, congressmen talking about antitrust already. Uh, Give us a little recap, if you can, on your angle on Amazon.
4: Yeah, well, you know, what what struck me, you know, in hearing all about Amazon's Prime Day uh, and the tremendously successful um, outing that that was... Um, you know it gave you a really good sense that you know yet again that the the traditional brick and mortar retailers are really you know fighting an uphill pricing battle these days um, because many of them, while they have e commerce operations, have not uh, built them up to the extent that they need to to compete effectively with the likes of Amazon, um, which was well ahead of the competitive curve and uh and now you're 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 playing catch up and that becomes a costly endeavor so in the meantime to try to keep traffic coming into your stores you, you discount prices aggressively like in a big way like 50 60 70% off primarily because you have to since your shoppers are moving elsewhere uh these days so um so really just my contention was just that you know Amazon is a is a monster right right now, and it's put a uh, the fear into a whole lot of retailers anytime it might you know encroach on their space or any company for that matter. We saw that yesterday with the announcement around its meal meal kit preparation uh, initiative, and so of course you know blue apron took a dive on that um, but uh you know the interesting thing about Amazon right now is that it's it, it's a bigger monster in terms of mind share than it is market share really. Um, You know, when you compare it to Walmart, uh, just in the first quarter alone, Amazon had about $35 billion in sales, which is, you know, nothing small by any means. But Walmart had close to $118 billion in sales. So it gives you a little perspective in terms of, you know, how much further Amazon can grow and and encroach on other competitors' market share. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, is that everyone is talking about Amazon. They're not talking about Walmart. They're talking about Amazon uh, and that's where it has monstrous mindshare, uh, and that's where its real potential, I think, continues to lie.
2: So Amazon as an investment. Now, we know Amazon as a retail play. Um, I get a little bit too much sun damage in my face, uh, lugging soccer balls around in the afternoon. <laughs> I picked up some uh, moisturizer last night. There's no chance in the world I'm going to remember to pick up moisturizer during the day. They're getting more and more of my sales, more and more, Um, as an investor, not as a consumer of retail. um, Would you consider dipping your toe in with the idea of maybe scaling in for the next five, ten years versus going whole hog? Uh, Would you go whole hog, or would you just say, I'm going to pass on this for a little while?
4: Right. Well, I think it boils down to knowing who you are as an investor. So, uh, you know, if you um, are a value-oriented investor that's uh, more risk-averse, then this is not a name for you. Um, there's, there's a tremendous amount of price risk, I think, in Amazon in the sense that there's so many, there's, the expectations are so high surrounding the company that, um, you know, you can see a real material drop in the stock price if it fails to live up to those expectations. But, but truly, it's a growth-oriented stock. So if you're a growth-oriented investor, I think, willing to take on uh, added risk, um, you know, this company continues to demonstrate that it's executing beautifully against its business model, and that business model continues to sell on Wall Street. Uh, and there could be further upside ahead. And, and you do have to take a step back and, and accept this this newfound reality that, you know, Amazon is a position right now really to, you know, uh, it's a little bit hyperbole, but, you know, to take over the world, so to speak, um, and uh, you can see it anytime. You know, it's going to announce that it's entering a new market. Uh, any company that is already existing in that market will probably have to see a negative reaction in the stock price because you know Amazon has demonstrated it's an industry disruptor uh, and it knows how to execute. On thin margins and knows how to drive sales so um, so there's certainly some you know uh, a good investment angle that continues to be wrapped up in this company I think for the long term provided someone is in fact growth oriented uh, and and has a higher risk tolerance
2: you have a family and I don't want to get too specific but are think Netflix watchers the, the younger one the children
4: well, uh, not so much, quite honestly. I mean, we don't watch a lot of TV in our household, okay. um, but we do have a Netflix subscription. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we watch it occasionally, but we are not uh, TV loyalists, if you will.
2: I've got two boys, and I, the amount of time spent on Minecraft and YouTube, it, it tells me that the amount of, t, amount of TV screen time, it's, it's screen time. There's screen time on television going way down. There's screen time on devices going way up, but it, it's monitored, I'm not out of control, but they haven't discovered Netflix yet, but I imagine at some point in time they will. Any commentary on the Netflix quarter? Because uh, Netflix and Amazon, Apple and you know Google's Alphabet, they they seem to be ruling this market.
4: Well, you know, it is, and it's, I think it's just another reminder. I mean, I, I don't... Follow Netflix specifically as an analyst, but just in terms of a sure. big picture view of, of what they've done, you know, they've they added a tremendous amount of new customers more so than you know analysts that follow the company expected. So that's obviously demonstrating that they're uh, that they're resonating with with customers out there. But of course, they're spending a lot of money to make that happen, uh, and um, their you know their free cash flow projection is uh, pretty eye opening because you know they're expected to. Essentially, lose you know, run negative in the you know one and a half to two and a half billion dollars, I believe, and so so obviously they're they're investing now for the payoff later, and uh, you can see in the reaction to the stock price though that uh, its investor base likes that approach, um, and it tends to um, you know re- be reflective of the approach that Amazon has taken, right, um, and because Amazon is now seeing the fruits of those investment labors come to fruition, um, you know, if a company like Netflix can continue to drive new customer ads, uh, then then it's, its story of, you know, investing heavily right now for a payoff later will continue to sell on Wall Street and I think continue to attract new investors.
2: So let's turn the page to today. Uh, we got Goldman Sachs and Bank of America coming out with earnings from hearing some Bloomberg commentary on the way in this morning. It seemed like Earnings are okay and that we it sh- should hold the markets up, but then there's some companies like Apple who are a little overvalued. Uh, do you make anything out of the financials uh, potentially having a good quarter and maybe leading the market higher in the second half of this year, or am I getting one foot ahead of itself?
4: Yeah, well, you know, I think we all need to remember that the financials had, had a nice run leading up to these reports as well, uh, certainly since the end of May. Um, you know, I think uh, JP Morgan was up something like 13% since the end of May going into its report. Citigroup, I think, was up around 11 percent, Bank of America up around 9 percent. So so they had big runs. They were outperforming the market going into these reports. And even though the, there's been a somewhat negative response following their earnings reports, I don't think it's a case of the reports themselves being bad so much. as just that a lot of good news was already priced in. And I think uh, certainly in the case of the banks, uh, if you can uh, – that they – look to be in a good position here if we, if we ultimately get, you know, stronger economic activity uh, and higher interest rates to, to, to accompany that, uh, you know, that's, those are good in places to be from an investor standpoint. Uh, but it just so happens that these banks are also reporting a time where the yield curve is flattening again, and so it makes it easier to use as an excuse to kind of do some selling into the selling on the news um, after this, these reports.
2: So taking a look at your page one from this morning. Um, Again, it's the first place that I start my my morning as far as trading goes. Not trading, investing, getting ready for market media. You also mentioned that Harley-Davidson's down. And I did a piece last week where millennials just don't care. I think it was, I took it from Barron's, but millennials just don't care about motorcycles. Um, Any commentary on Harley-Davidson hog? Because it kind of caters to you and me, people who are 40-plus, uh, midlife crisis. Don't want to go out and you know ruin the marriage. So we just get a motorcycle and go away on weekends. Uh, I'm summing up. I'm not putting words in your mouth or anything like that. And I know nothing about your specific situation. But is Harley Davidson um, for older people? And is it going to fade and die? Yeah.
4: Well, first I'll be sticking to my mountain bike. Uh, so there'll be no motorcycle okay. in my garage. But um
2: are there mountains in Chicago? <laughs>
4: no we we just like to the, like to think that there are so we we like to ride mountain bikes and <laughs> instead of road bikes <laughs> so, gotcha. um but yeah with harley davidson i mean I, I you know again i think just the numbers tell the story uh shipments are down uh the you know full year shipment guidance has, has been taken down and and so it's a demand issue and I think it relates in large part to the demographic factor that it's its core constituents are, are aging, uh, and the leading edge of of those, you know, baby boomers are, are kind of you know, rolling out of their uh Harley years so to speak. And they're probably just not seeing as much demand as they used to. I mean, that's what seems to be apparent in the uh, earnings and sales results from Harley-Davidson. So so they're going to be a cost-cutting structure story, I think, for, for a little bit here until they can kind of reset growth expectations and, and come up with a product cycle that starts to resonate with uh, with the younger demographic.
2: You're a great sport and a great market insight. Thank you very much. It's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. You can find him at briefing.com. Uh, there's so much there from technical trades to story stocks, to what's happening today, to analyst upgrades, to economic calendars, to stock calendars, and much, much more. You can find them at briefing.com. That's briefing.com.
1: conversation. 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW.
2: I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing and more. I'm Rob Black. This morning, CFP Chad Burton debuted a new show on KDOW, AM 1220, from 6 AM to 7 AM. He's going to do Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm going to do Mondays and... uh, No, he's going to do Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I'm going to do Mondays and Thursdays. I'm going to do Stock Talk. He's going to be doing new focus on wealth. And then on Friday mornings, from 6 AM to 7 AM, we're going to do a Best Of. Um, Give us some feedback. You can send me feedback, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. But here's a little segment of his from this morning.
5: A lot of people are younger driving to the Bay Area right now and say, I can't really afford to save. I can't afford to save into my 401k right now. And I will say, just look at your cup holder right now. Is there a, uh, well, maybe it's my favorite, which is a Phil's coffee. Maybe there's a Starbucks Pete's coffee, something that's in there that you just paid three to five bucks for, maybe even more. Would you more. like coffee? Yes, I would like some more coffee. Uh, Phil's is kind of an addiction for me, so I can't really talk too much about wasting money on coffee but if you haven't I've, I've started saving i've been saving since i was younger because luckily i had a great grandfather that told me how important it was to the point where he pulled me into this business and i fell in love with it but if you're saying i can't afford to save look in your cup holder how much are you spending there you know maybe it's a giant soda from 7-eleven i don't know look at your facebook page or your instagram page if you were younger and you're out drinking this week and you're holding drinks how much did you pay at the bar Where did you go on vacation? Um, Look at the emblem on your steering wheel. If your car payment or your lease payment because you wanted to drive something really, really nice is more than what you're putting into your 401k, don't blame anybody but yourself because you do have choices in life that you can make. to Say, you know what, I'm gonna drive a crappier car for the next five to 10 years because my income's gonna go up and I'll grow into a better car. While I continue to save 10% of my pay at least from the date I get out of school. Very, very important. Now, what do you invest in your 401k? Should you be using these target date funds, which a lot of 401k plans are going to? In other words, if you're going to retire in the year 2060, you invest in the 2060 target retirement date fund. Are those a good choice? For younger people, I think they are a good choice because it's really a no-brainer. You go into it, you know you can pick one investment. It's going to be diversified in large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, emerging markets, and it's not going to have a lot of bonds if you buy the, the later one. You don't need you don't need bonds in order to get your retirement if you're 20, 30, 40 years old. You just really don't. Um, they're not going to get you anywhere at this point. So younger people, that's fine. If you don't have a 401k that offers target retirement date funds, then just doing a nice mix of large cap, small cap, mid cap, international emerging market and is, is a good choice to be in. You really don't need a lot more than that. You do have to be careful, though, when you're looking at the target date retirement funds inside your 401k, is to check the fee structure because some of them are not very good and they have an extra layer of fees on top of them. So you have to look at the fee structure. Do I like the target retirement date funds for older people? In other words, if it's, uh, you know, you're going to retire in like 10, 12 years, maybe you're looking at the 2030 fund and you're 60, 65 years old um, or you're 50, 55 years old and you're going to retire in 10 years. You're looking at the 2030 fund. I don't like them. I don't like them for older people because the bond choices are not very smart in my opinion. They're just basic bond choices. Typically, whatever provider is offering the target retirement date funds, they're going to stick a significant portion of their money in their own bond funds, which might be just mirroring the bond, the Barclays bond index. And those aren't really the type of bond funds I want to own right now in retirement. We're using a mix of bond alternatives, unconstrained bond funds, and cash for people that are close to retirement or in retirement. Because the traditional bond funds, you're not really getting paid for the risk that you could be taking. If you look at the yield on a traditional bond fund right now, in your 401k or anywhere else, the ones that have, you know, that that aren't overly risky or overly sensitive to interest rates, they're only yielding about 2.8%. Yet if you have another situation like 2013 where rates dr- jump drastically, and I'm not saying we will for sure, but rates are likely pointing higher, that could put pressure on the bond prices. And so it's very easy to lose a good portion of the income that you're already earning on bonds just because of the negative price movement in the bonds themselves. So long story short, if you're close to retirement, and I'm talking you know 15 years or less, I'm not a big fan of the target retirement date funds for you. If you're younger and you're trying to find one investment to make and be very diversified, they're fine if you're looking for the longer ones that, you know, if you're 20, 30, 40 years old and you're looking for the ones that are retiring or, you know, target date 2050, 2060 type funds, they're fine because they're diversified. So what do you do then? If you're older, you're close to retirement, your 401k choices are awful. And I would say that the Cisco plan, the Cisco 401k plan, the changes that they made, Awful. Absolutely awful for people that are close to retirement. Um, they brought down the underlying fund costs by using a lot of index funds, but the, the bond choices, if you're trying to create a good retirement portfolio, are terrible. So, some of those people may need to open what's called a brokerage link account, where within your 401k, you can open up accounts at Fidelity, Schwab, JP Morgan, other places like that, and buy any stock bond or mutual fund that you want. So, a lot of plans have a brokerage link option. That way you can work with a fee-only advisor and get proper bond choices that are going to be a little bit better for retirement. Or maybe you need more cash. Maybe you need CDs. Maybe you need more stocks. Who knows? And you need better choices than what's in your existing 401k plan. Another option, too, is if you're over 59 and a half, most 401k plans allow you to do what's called an in-service rollover. You can roll money that's in your 401k over into an IRA while you're continuing to still work and add to the 401k plan in service IRA rollover. You got to make sure you have very, very aware of the fees, avoid annuities and stuff like that while you're doing that. So there are a lot of options. If you look at your 401k plan and the choices are not great, or you just don't even know what to do, you need some help, uh, Again, look for a fee-only advisor that acts as a fiduciary so they can present options to you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn,
0: head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.